Welcome to the 166th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, we take an in-depth preview of the upcoming college football season. So let's jump right in with a discussion of conference realignments, and then we'll talk about our predictions for conference champions. Patrick? Well, obviously, conference realignment has been a huge topic recently, a lot of the time with the big names involved. And, you know, we talked about Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC in the near future, and as we all know now, although we've never actually officially talked about it, UCLA and USC will be joining the Big Ten in 2024, um, which, although unrelated, it means that the Big 12 will be a 14-team conference in 2023 because BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston will join before Texas and Oklahoma leave for the SEC, and then when those two schools leave in 2024, at least that's the situation for now, uh, then it will be a 12-team conference again, and then it will actually be the Big 12 instead of having two Big 14s between <laughs> the Big 10 and the Big 12, who are currently the Big 8 and the Big 14. Um, and then it'll be the Big 12 and the Big 16, but, you know, that's a different discussion. But while those conferences are the ones making the headlines, the collateral of just Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12 caused a lot of changes throughout the landscape of college football. Uh, the Conference USA used to be a two-division, 14-team conference, but for this year, they will be a one-division, 11-team conference. They lost Marshall, Old Dominion, and Southern Miss, who all left to join the Sun Belt. However, the Sun Belt wasn't done adding as they scooped up James Madison, who alongside North Dakota State has been just dominating the FCS for like the last 10, 11 years. It's pretty much them. They're kind of the version of Alabama and Clemson for the last four years heading up until, I guess, last year and the year before that in the actual playoff. Um, but look, those teams will be joining the Sun Belt to make a two-division, 14-team conference up from just 10 teams last year with the same two-divisional format. It changed who's in what division. The reason why we're mentioning this is because, A, if you didn't check them out, my full-season college football predictions include those new divisional changes, and it's something that I actually forgot. You know, I was thinking, all right, well, it's the same formula as last year, use the same spreadsheet, whatever, and then I realized... I actually have to rework it because I did not know that these teams would be joining actually before the Big 12 uh, was making their moves. But for the CUSA, they will be adding Jacksonville State, Liberty, New Mexico State, and Sam Houston State at the end of 2023. New Mexico State is a longtime independent. Liberty has been an independent recently since they moved up to Division One. They have not found a conference home yet, but they've really established themselves as a good brand, and I'm honestly surprised that the Sun Belt didn't uh, actually ask Liberty to join because, frankly, they'd probably be the best team there. Uh, but at the same time, Jacksonville State will be new to D1 at the end of 2023, and same as Sam Houston State, who are not quite as dominant as uh, James Madison and, Nor and North Dakota State have been. But North Dakota State definitely cut above the rest, but Sam Houston State uh, definitely has been right there with them pretty much for a, a few years, actually, now in, in this kind of position where um, they've been kind of that team. I, you know, I, I obviously don't know too much about the FCS in terms of following it a lot, but I swear every single year I always see Sam Houston State. I always see, uh, well, you used to see Liberty a lot too back when they were still in the FCS, but their move was uh, obviously done a few years ago. But North Dakota State's always been in there. Uh, there. There are a few teams who have just been constants in terms of that race of being the dominant team in the FCS. So when... When these teams leave, North Dakota State, first of all, will be the dominant one. I think that's pretty obvious. But at the same time, um, these teams leaving do have an impact on that, and they should be strong competitors in the CUSA. Uh, but regardless, 
Charlotte, Florida Atlantic, known as FAU more commonly, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UTSA will all be leaving the CUSA in 2023 to join the American after they lose their current football, I guess, big three, at least for this year. Maybe you could throw Memphis in here most years, but that big three kind of including UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. So while everybody's talking about Texas, Oklahoma, UCLA, and USC, there's a lot of moves going on. I mean, longtime independents like BYU, you've even heard Notre Dame possibly joining a conference. You never know if the Big Ten included NBC in the media rights deal that they just signed because they wanted Notre Dame. You never know. So there have been a lot of deals and a lot of conversations about that. And people just aren't talking about the fact that we've already had, I, I guess that means what, five or six teams just completely change conferences this year alone. So look, it's a more of an immediate impact than people think it is. And we wanted to address that before we talk about who we think is going to win each conference. Okay, well, we've covered a complicated topic with ever-shifting uh, seismic shifts and shifting teams and delayed shifts and all kinds of stuff. It'll be It's going to be a big scrambled mess, I think, for the next couple of years. So while things are still settled, at least for this season, let's take a look at the uh, major conferences and who we think will win them this year. Well, we'll actually be doing every conference, but we'll start with the major conferences. Um, for the Big Ten... I have Ohio State. Again, you can see all of this on my whole season predictions, too, um, and see how exactly they get to that path. I have Alabama in the SEC. I have Oklahoma in the Big 12. I have Clemson in the ACC. I have Utah in the Pac-12 as repeat champions. I have Houston winning the American. Uh, I have Fresno State in the Mountain West. I have UTSA in the Conference USA, although they'll be leaving soon, so maybe this might be their last title. Might even be their last opportunity for a title. Um, and then I have Central Michigan in the MAC and Appalachian State in the newly formed 14-team Sun Belt. And uh, you will go through your predictions, and then we'll go back and circle through some of the ones we think are interesting to talk about. Well, to save time, I'll, I'll just say where I disagree with you. Um, and uh, that's in the Big 12. I, I and Maybe we'll talk about the reasons why. I'm going to have a Kansas State. Um, the American, I'm going with Cincinnati to repeat. Uh, Mountain West, I'll go with San Diego State. And the MAC, I'm going to take Toledo. And the Sun Belt, I'll take Coastal Carolina. So maybe we talk about uh, some of the differences or, and why, why we think uh, we're right or uh, why we think the other person's wrong. Well, I think first we should honestly circulate back to the top two teams in the country preseason that I think we both, I, I haven't actually looked at what you think is going to be the playoff, but I think certainly is going to be the national championship game matchup, at least as far as I can predict from now. Look, Michigan did had an amazing season last year. They completely disrupted the flow of Ohio State, just completely dominating the whole Big Ten for however long it's been, of what, probably six or seven years in a row of winning that division, or maybe I guess since Michigan State won it in 2016 or 2017, whatever that year was, that they went to the playoff. But you know, that flow really hasn't ever been stopped, and it's surprising that, you know, Michigan in a season where they actually weren't supposed to be as good as they've often been projected to be and went from unranked at the start of the season, that that team of all Michigan teams would come out and beat Ohio State and win the conference championship and go to the playoff. But I, I think, look, honestly, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I'm going to be talking about him a lot, so I won't talk about him that much right now, but... He had more rece more receiving yards than Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave last year when he was supposed to be the number three receiver going into the season. C.J. Shroud has probably, that's probably the, the best QB receiver duo we've seen since, I don't know, you could make a comparison to maybe Joe Burrow and uh, 
and Justin Jefferson or even Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, no, no matter who you want to throw out from that team. You could you could say Joe, Joe Burrow and Terrace Marshall, pretty much every wide receiver on that LSU team uh, you can throw out there. And you can even say Mac Jones and Devontae Smith kind of in that same caliber. But no matter which way you want to slice it, that is the team that has, this is the team that's kind of emerged from last year, even with not being able to beat Michigan for the first time. Getting that home game at Michigan and having beaten them so many times in a row before last year, I, I really feel like the revenge is coming at home this season for them. And I do think that their defensive issues got exposed enough at the end of the season that it actually forced them to address that by changing defensive coordinators, which will change their scheme. They kind of jumbled up their staff. They got more talent for it. So, you know, I actually think Ohio State is in a better position having been uh, destroyed by Michigan and giving up 42 points pretty much on all runs. Um, and then also ha- allowing Utah to score like 35 or 42 points on a team that, I mean, Utah was not necessarily the biggest offensive threat last year. So that bowl game performance from them was kind of jarring against Ohio State's defense. And I think that Honestly, they got beat up so bad, even though they won that game against Utah in the Rose Bowl, that the changes that it forced them to make will actually make them better this year. Um, And I think they can't get much better from last year, and I think they already are going to. And that home field advantage does make a big difference, and I think that'll push them over uh, this season. And I just think that overall, they're definitely, they they got better. I mean, it's that simple for me, but. I I agree with you. Um, And that loss to Michigan be a motivating factor and they got a new they got uh, Oklahoma State's old defensive coordinator uh, who's there and I just think that that's the difference of that game at the end of the year and also in the same fashion that it happens at Alabama which we're going to talk to right about right now with Bryce Young CJ Stroud was also a freshman last year I mean Bryce Young and CJ Stroud were coming in okay Bryce Young was a redshirt freshman but he still was I think CJ Stroud he, was a redshirt too yeah but they both of them had not played a game before Correct. and the fact of the matter is, the expectations at those programs are sky high, and Bryce Young definitely met them met them, and maybe even exceeded them, considering that, as Nick Saban said, as stupid as it sounds for a program to go to the national championship, win the hardest conference to win in all of football, and then just become the national runners-up and calling that a transition year, as crazy as it sounds, he's actually right. That was a down year for Alabama, and seeing that that was their down year, you can only imagine what happens when their redshirt freshman quarterback becomes a seasoned veteran, I guess you could say now at this point. Uh, he already contended for the Heisman. So did Stroud. Stroud was a, Stroud was the Heisman favorite for most of the season. Uh, Bryce Young then overtook him when Stroud kind of had, I mean, Stroud had a signature moment against Michigan State where it looked like he had locked up the Heisman at that point. Um, but Bryce Young willed his team back in a game against Auburn and then also just absolutely let Alabama way through the the game against Georgia in the SEC championship game where he just torched the best defense that we've seen in really decades, probably, and then also led them on their playoff run, and obviously he ended up taking the Heisman. But this year, it's going to be those two fighting for it again. Obviously, Aiden Hutchinson ended up runner-up too, but this year it will be C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young again fighting for it, although we'll get to it later. They do have two teammates that could even... <laughs> there might be some infighting with teammates uh, there, but at the same time... Both of these teams, you're looking at young quarterbacks who ended top five. I don't see how either of them don't get better. I see Alabama going from from runner-up to national champion, and I also see Ohio State going from runner-up in the Big Ten. I mean, technically they didn't make the conference championship game, but we know they were the second-best second team because they were much better than Iowa. I see them going from second-best team in the Big Ten to best team in the Big Ten, so I think that progression is pretty natural. Uh, I mean, I could have said the exact same thing as you. I agree 100%. Uh, 
and you'll see later in our college football predictions. So since we agree on both of those and the reasons for it, let's move to the Big 12 where we disagree. So I think we I think we're actually in agreement here in terms of who's kind of in contention. I don't really see why I, I get your pick of Kansas State. I like I like Deuce Vaughn. I like their running game. I like that they have a returning quarterback. I'm very big on quarterback experience and experience in general. I like all those things. But I, I just think that there's something about Oklahoma right now that they're so they've rallied around hating Lincoln Riley to the point that I actually think they're gonna be much better than last year. Because they just have something to rally upon. They have a group that's focused on overturning this narrative that losing their coach ruined their season. Everybody thinks that that's what's going to happen. They think Lincoln Riley's gone. They have no offense, whatever. How about Oklahoma becomes the first team in the Big 12 to actually play defense now that they have Brent Venables? Well, we'll see I, I don't, that. I don't, I, I mean, trust me, they have a lot of talent and they have way better talent on defense than anybody else in that conference. They're miles ahead of anybody else. That doesn't mean they're going to stop anybody in the conference, but I could actually see them finally being a team. I mean, actually, Oklahoma State and Baylor both did it last year, where I think both of them actually ended up top 10 in points allowed. It was kind of a down year overall in the Big 12, and I really think this year is the same. Uh, you look at my predictions for college football, the whole thing. I have Oklahoma going 10-2. and two. That is a down year for that program. I mean, I I would say that's a down year. But at the same time, none of the other teams in this conference are good enough to take them to, to take them down. I mean, Baylor lost a lot of production. Oklahoma State, same thing. Baylor lost, their t- Baylor lost running backs. They lost receivers. They lost guys on defense. Oklahoma State, same thing. I mean, there's so many things going on with everybody that I really don't feel like going from Lincoln Riley to Brent Venables is going to be the biggest downgrade in this conference this year. And I just think that that's the reason why Oklahoma is going to win because I just don't really see... I I think also when you have that narrative around you that you're the team that's built to disappoint this year, those teams always typically end up doing pretty well because they have something to rally on from day one. Yeah, I'm just not sold on Oklahoma being able to recover from the exodus of talent. Um, And you don't go from a terrible defense to a great defense overnight. And with a head coach who's defensive-minded... Uh, it's going to take some time. We'll be better on defense, but I don't know what's going on with their offense. And guy's never been a head coach before. I know he's been the, you know, the the top assistant coach, Frank Broyles Award winner, you know, flavor of the month for every great college football head coaching head coach head coaching vacancy. Um, I just don't see him doing it this year. Uh, I think it's a year for somebody else to sneak up and and uh, and grab it all. That did happen last year as well. And by the way, again, as I said, I, I think I have five teams in this conference going eight and four or ten and two. Well. Somewhere in between eight and four and ten and two, with Oklahoma being the only team better than nine and three in the whole conference, and I would have it differently if some teams didn't play certain non-conference schedules too. Um, but you know, just the way that I the way that I view this conference, it really is a down year. I don't think we're going to end up with a bunch of top ten teams from the Big Twelve. I think the AP poll reflects that. I think this is the first year in a while that Oklahoma hasn't been in the top five or really right outside of it. I mean, last year people projected kind of the downfall from the Kyler Murray-Baker Mayfield era a little bit, and they went from, you know, being consistently ranked preseason top three or top four after a bad COVID year to being ranked, what, sixth or seventh to start the season? But this year you're seeing no Big Ten, no Big 12 team is ranked out of ninth, and depending on which poll you look at. So I just think that there, I think it's very clear out there that these teams are not as good as they've once been. And I trust Baylor and their coaching staff to kind of remodel and rework with what they had last year. But I don't think they're going to end up being this juggernaut that they were last year. And I don't think that Oklahoma State's going to do the same thing at the same time. So 
And by the way, I do think that Kansas State is a surprise team that will probably even make it to the conference championship game. I just didn't predict it that way just because I feel like the schedule is going to be something that gets in their way. And I feel like in giving Oklahoma a loss, I feel like Baylor was their most likely conference loss. And once I had given Baylor that win over Oklahoma, it's pretty much impossible for them to not win the conference. Um, but that that's just how it worked in my in my uh, in my picking simulations. But you know, if I if I had picked Baylor to lose that game, I'd probably pick Kansas State or somebody else to win to get as the second team into that conference uh, championship game. Okay, well, let's move to a couple of conferences that we agree on the remaining major conferences, at least uh, for now, with who's in them. Uh, the ACC and the Pac-12. Well, with Clemson and Utah, you're looking at things where you don't exactly see the team last year that ended the year. You see the team that was being built as the year went on. Uh, Clemson started the season top three. I said if Georgia beat Clemson, Georgia would go to the playoff. That win was not the signature win of their season. It was probably win four or five on their list of their biggest wins of the year, obviously. The Alabama win in the championship game. You have the Michigan win in the semifinals. You could probably put them beating Kentucky over Clemson, but no one saw any of that coming. I mean, some people probably said Clemson would be worse, but Clemson had quarterback issues. Uh, they've worked through them in just letting DJ Uyugalale take that job perfectly and just give it, give him the job. Last year, he was kind of nervous about it. They were benching him some games. They had a little, it was just a little too anxious for me. And I think Clemson realized that. And Dabo Sweeney made the move and he just said, you know what? I'm going to put, I'm going to give him the reins. That's how it's going to work. He's got, it's either that he's going to turn out to be what we thought he's going to be, or we're going to have another rough year that isn't even that rough where we just end up going, you know, nine and three, 10 and two. But when you look around the ACC elsewhere, I see good quarterbacks. Um, I see good defenses. I see good weapons everywhere in terms of skill positions, but I just don't see how Clemson loses this conference multiple years in a row after the run of dominance they had. When, I mean, every single time they lost a quarterback, it was always a wonder. Could Trevor Lawrence step up as a freshman? Could Deshaun Watson repeat the season he had before? I mean, it's all, it's always the same story with them. And they've pretty much always stepped up to the plate. And this year it's, can DJ bounce back? And I think, hey, he was rated higher than Bryce Young by some people two years ago. All of a sudden, Bryce Young's a Heisman favorite and no one thinks DJ can even win the ACC. It's, it's ridiculous. So, you know. Give Clemson the conference. I, I don't care that they're losing a defensive coordinator. They're not going to forget how to play defense. They definitely will be worse on the defensive end. They definitely will be better on the offensive end, and I'll take that trade off and say that that wins in the conference this year. Although the ACC actually looks like it's really competitive, and at this point, I think last year the Big 12 was easily better than the ACC. I think this year it's actually the opposite. I think the ACC will probably end up being the third best conference behind the Big 10 and the SEC in terms of top to bottom talent. I think they'll I think they'll leave four or five teams ranked at the end of the season. I think Wake Forest might drop out, but I, I can easily see Pitt, Miami, NC State, Clemson all staying in the rankings by the end of the season, maybe in some different spots. But I think for the most part, honestly, starting about where they ended up. And then Utah, it's the same thing as Clemson. Uh, they went 10-1 and one when Cameron Rising took over as the starter uh, and went on to win the conference championship game. They obviously lost in the Rose Bowl to Ohio State, but... That was with a bunch of defensive guys out. They're returning their quarterback. He was the one who sparked their team to go from one and two to what, thirteen and two or whatever it ended up being. They got they they have the talent. I don't trust anybody else in the Pac-12 with how much talent has been just shifting around the whole conference. Yeah. So uh, really quickly, I, I tried to find an alternative to the conventional pick in Clemson and in both Utah. In both instances, you know, Clemson. I'm thinking, okay, they lost both their offensive and their defensive coordinator to head coaching positions. So. Um, but but then I looked at the competition and the fact that 
Clemson had a down year, and so they're going to be licking their wounds, a little bit angry this year. And like you've said, a lot of times with defense... And they also were only a few plays away yeah. from winning the ACC anyway. So. A lot of times with defense, you might lose your coordinator, but the system's still there, the players are still there. They, they, it doesn't drop off a cliff automatically. And um, I just I couldn't find anybody that I thought, with all those factors, would be better than Clemson. In Utah's case, you know, obviously USC's a, a, a fancy pick right now. I like the steady pick. Uh, Kyle Whittingham's a great coach. He always gets the he probably gets more out of his talent than anybody else does. He usually does does not usually underachieve, um, and I think USC is a little weak in the uh, in the interior on the defensive and offensive line. I mean USC is weak in everything that doesn't have that doesn't have the designation of skill position, and they're also weak in this thing called team chemistry because none go. of these players have played with each other before. Yeah. So, they have an up they have this massive amalgamation of talent. But they've never played with each other before. So, I mean, and, and it's not like an NFL team. Well, so. ultimately, it comes down to Utah. The Utah-SC game is in Utah. That um, too. And that kind of tips about And it. remember, I, I was all last year talking about how Oregon was better than Utah. And then as soon as the Utah-Oregon game came around, I picked Utah to beat Oregon. Because that's just how it works in college football. When you have a program that's not really used to necessarily... I mean, I'm not saying that Utah's been a bad program, but they're not used to winning the Pac-12. So when you give them... The opportunity and say, hey, if you win this game, all you got to do is beat four and eight Stanford and three and ten Oregon State or whatever. <laughs> not, not Oregon State wasn't bad last year, but those types of teams, and all they have to do is beat Oregon at home to win to win that conference. Pretty much to pretty much lock it up, they're going to go crazy to try to win that game. And that atmosphere was ridiculous. I don't see USC walking in there with. I mean, I'm not saying they're going to be automatically uncoordinated because they have a bunch of transfers, but. I don't think they're going to be tight enough as a group and just overall as a team to overcome that kind of an environment to, to in that big of a moment. I just don't see it happening. So that's where I lean Utah to. But we can move on to the American where we differ, yeah. actually. Let's move, on, let's move on to the other conferences. Well, I'm going to talk about it later, so I won't exactly talk about the combo that's of Clayton Toon and Nathaniel, quote-unquote, Tank Dell of Houston. Um, but... This team is just better than Cincinnati. Cincinnati lost way too much. They lost a running back. They lost a quarterback. They lost receivers. They lost defensive players. They had a corner who had never allowed a touchdown in his entire career, Sauce Gardner, who's now in the NFL. Their secondary is going to be worse. Their running game is going to be worse. And their passing game is going to be worse. And when you factor all that together, it's not like they just lost a running back, so they're kind of losing that complimentary offense. They're losing everything. I mean, Desmond Ritter was this program for four years. And I just don't, I think this is kind of their Alabama year, like last year. Well, I don't think Cincinnati will be bad. I have them going to the conference championship game to play Houston. I just believe that Houston has been building up under Cincinnati this whole time. And they're going to carry that momentum from beating up Auburn in that bowl game and tell Cincinnati, hey, we can beat an SEC team from the state of Alabama, unlike you. So we're going to continue that <laughs> this year and we're going to make it all the way to the conference championship game and we're going to win the conference championship game. I, I just believe more in returning talent than the than really returning production that's kind of lost and kind of a group of unknowns is going to replace it. I just wanted to pick something different from you. Sometimes. Fair enough. So there we go. And I... And I thought this was a good a good contrarian pick. Fair enough. Um, I think with Fresno State and San Diego State, I don't think we're going to spend too much time on these conferences that, no offense, but nobody really watches and cares about, especially when you're talking about the Mountain West when they have those those Hawaii games on, that are on at probably, what, 10 p.m. West Coast starts game. occasionally. Great to go to bed on um, but, yeah, they have some unfortunate timings in this conference. But at the same time, uh, I have Fresno State. You have San Diego State. I, I think... 
I'm looking at quarterbacks here and I'm looking at Jake Hayner and I'm saying I'm looking at a lot of returning quarterbacks with a lot of production and he's the guy that's kind of gone unnoticed. He's not going to make a push to win the Heisman, but I I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe end the season ranked if he kind of ends up in that seventh to eighth range of a guy who people recognize but don't exactly give that much credit to. And I just think that that talent's going to push them over the edge. Um, So that's what I'm going with there. And I think... You don't probably have that much reasoning for saying that. Well, no, State. but Fresno State lost their head coach and a lot of their coaching staff went to Washington. So, you know, if Jeff Tedford can come in there and win the conference championship over the stability of San Diego State, I'll, I'll just be surprised. So let's move on. With Central Michigan, I'm looking at Lou Nichols and I'm looking at possibly the best returning running back in the country. And I'm just saying I, nobody in the back is going to stop that. So that's that's my simple answer there. I really have no other reasoning. And some would think that Toledo was the best team in the conference last year. Um Definitely second best, and they really haven't lost much talent. So um, I'm going with Toledo. I you know I, I can't pick the Chippewas. This this conference actually has a bunch of random, you know, none of these teams are probably going to end the year ranked because the MAC never really does that. But there are, there, there are actually a lot of decent teams yeah. in here. I think out of the conferences that are not the American, uh, that are in the group of five, they the MAC could be the better one. I honestly, I, I don't like for, for some interesting Tuesday night games. Yeah, and the Sun Belt's losing a lot more talent than the MAC ended up. Uh, but let's move on to the Sun Belt. I have Appalachian State. You have Coastal Carolina. I think you're you're looking at returning quarterback production, yep. and I'm finally not doing that for one conference. Yep. But I, I trust Appalachian State so much more just because Coastal Carolina has failed me in past years, um, and I just believe that. They have been more consistent in terms of staying at the top of this conference before Coastal Carolina's rise. And I think even after Coastal Carolina's fall, Appalachian State will still be there. And I just trust what they have. I trust that, you know, after giving up coaches multiple years, now that they've had a coach for two years, he might actually be able to bring them up all the way to conference championship level success. And I think that's what's going to happen. So, yeah, that's my opinion on that. Let's move on from the look at the conference champions and Talk about the overall landscape across the country. Uh, let's start, Patrick. Name three breakout teams for this season. Well, if anybody saw my little spreadsheet, they would be surprised to see that I have not Iowa, not Wisconsin, not even Minnesota, who some people think are, are going to be uh, pretty good this season. I have Purdue winning the Big Ten West. Here's the reason why. Their easy schedule allows them to have two games with, with Iowa at home and Wisconsin on the road, where one win will secure the division for them as long as they manage to limit themselves to losing either one road game while beating Penn State at home in the first game of the season, or if they just lose to Penn State, they just need to beat the teams on the road who are not that good. In my full season predictions, the following situation unfolds. I have Purdue losing that first game to Penn State. I have them losing a road game to Minnesota, and I have them losing that road game to Wisconsin, and I still have them winning the conference because they get the tiebreaker over Iowa. Winning the division. Yes, yeah, sorry, winning the division. Obviously not winning the conference. They're going to they're going to get killed by Ohio State if they ever played them. Uh, but I then have Iowa losing to Michigan. I have Iowa losing to Ohio State. And the all-important loss is Purdue, which gives Purdue the tiebreaker over Iowa and gives them their third loss in the conference, but allows Purdue to win the division by that head-to-head win. I have Nebraska pulling out the upset over Wisconsin to take them out of a three-team tie that A, would be really confusing to figure out, and B, would also maybe allow Wisconsin in the back door to win the conference. And I just think that, by the way, I still have Wisconsin going 8-4, and four, which is probably going to leave them in the exact position they are to start in the rankings, which is like 22nd. But uh, look, this team plays Ohio State 
and Michigan State on the road. They're not winning either of those games. They're the only team in that division who has two guaranteed losses on their schedule because this division does not have a single-ranked team outside of Wisconsin. So they're the tough the tough game for everybody. So that may, always makes your schedule easier when you're the team to beat because if there's only one ranked team and it's you, you can't play any ranked teams. But they got really unlucky with those crossovers. Iowa plays Michigan. Iowa, yeah. Iowa plays Michigan and Ohio State. Wisconsin plays Michigan State and Ohio State. They, they, they found a way that the two best teams in this division play the two play the three best teams in the other division, and both of them play by far the best team in the other division. So it's just, I just don't see how Purdue when they're avoiding that. And you know, Penn State's good, but they're gonna have a down year this year. So I don't see how Purdue avoids all the good teams in the other division. Wisconsin and Iowa inherit the best. I mean, this is probably the best the top three in the East have been in a while. Honestly, when you consider Michigan coming off a playoff run and Ohio State being preseason number two, plus Michigan State coming off a 10-win season, those teams haven't all won 10 games in a long time. Maybe Penn State has in, in addition to that, but most of the time not returning this much talent, and all these teams return enough to be that good. So I just believe Purdue will ride that easy schedule to win uh, that conference. Then I have Arkansas. You know what I say about quarterbacks. I love returning quarterbacks. I think everybody thinks that losing Traylon Burks is losing this offense. They didn't lose the quarterback. We know what we know what wins games in college football. It's quarterbacks, and especially dual threat quarterbacks. So KJ Jefferson, probably the best dual threat quarterback in the country. If you're really really talking about true running ability, because Bryce Young can run, but he doesn't really go to his legs that often. And he's obviously a better passer than KJ Jefferson, but he just does not, he doesn't, he doesn't show his running ability that much, nor does CJ Stroud, even though they both can be runners, they just don't run that often. Uh, KJ Jefferson is a true, true, true dual threat. He runs the read option. He scrambles out of the pocket and makes runs. He is huge. He cannot be tackled. He's very, if you need an NFL comparison, he's like Malik Willis. And I just believe that I don't really see many SEC teams that have gotten it better enough to really surpass Arkansas from last season. It's pretty much the same team minus Traylon Burks. So I'm just seeing that from Arkansas, and I'm saying that will allow them to break out. Uh, their passing game will regress a bit, but I think overall they could be better than last year. And then Houston, I, I just don't think that sitting at 24 in the poll is enough love for them. I think Clayton Toon and Tank Dell or the American Athletic Conference equivalent of Stroud and Jackson Smith and Jigba, and no one realizes it because there's what? I mean, well, C.J. Stroud threw for an extra 1,000 yards over Clayton Toon, but Clayton Toon still was nearly a 4,000-yard passer last year, and Tank Dell had 1,300 receiving yards. It's just that Jackson Smith and Jigba had 1,600, so no one's talking about Tank Dell, but I mean, 3,700 yards from a quarterback and 1,300 from one receiver— that is a ridiculous duo for a team to have. He's explosive. He'll return a few kick returns for a touchdown this year, too. And I think that'll just propel them in the big games. And I just really don't see, especially with their schedule, I just don't see many teams that are just going to go out there and beat Houston. I don't think there are many teams that are talented enough to do it in that conference. All right. Well, um, since I agree with you on Purdue, mainly for the, the scheduling reasons, um, I've only got two other teams to talk about. First is Washington. Uh, this is a team that was ranked number 22 preseason last year. Then they lost to Montana um, at, home. at home and got destroyed <laughs> by Michigan um, to go 0-2, I think, for the first time in like 16 years. Crazy, some crazy stat. Um, and finished with a 4-8 and record. They've got a new coach, Callum DeBoer, from Fresno State. And they got a transfer quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., from Indiana, who 
led Indiana to a great season two years ago. But then um, last year was yeah, awful. Last year was, but I think he was hurt. Um, he I, wasn't good when he was playing. Yeah, though. I predict they are going to upset Michigan State on September 17th. Michigan State has to go to Seattle and be headed and be 9-2 and two in, a, in a week pack, pack, pack 12 heading into the big, big Apple Cup meeting with Washington State at the end of the year. So I have the same situation with Washington where I believe I have them 7-5, and five, and I do have them being the second-best team in their division uh, in the Pac-12 because they're in the bad division of the Pac-12. Correct. They have Cal, they have Stanford, they have Washington State, they have Oregon State. Oregon State made a bowl game last year just off the back of how bad everybody else was in this division. Oregon is honestly having a down year this year. Yep. I do have Washington losing five games, but... The thing that tips their season for me is I don't think they lose two of the games I have them losing if they beat Michigan State in the first place. That's what I'm saying. And I have them losing that Michigan State game, but still going 7-5, and five, which is still a bounce-back season yep. for them. However, if they beat Michigan State, first of all, 8-4 and four with a win over Michigan State will end, will end with them being ranked, and no one's thinking of them as a ranked team, so that would already be a breakout season. And second of all, I think a loss that I have them taking to Washington State and a loss that I have them taking to Cal as a big upset, they're not losing those games if they're going to beat Michigan State. So I agree with you in terms of that that little breakout there, although it's not one of those teams that I circled just because that Michigan State game for me really is a true 50-50. Yeah. And you'll see in my predictions, obviously, like I've been talking, I focus a lot on quarterbacks. I also focus on teams where one game could be a make or break in, in the season. To me, if, if again, if Washington can win that game, they get a whole bunch of confidence. Then we'll go to South Carolina. This is a team that literally played a graduate student, a volunteer coach at quarterback last year. Yep. They had to band-aid their team together, and they went 7-6. and six. They went 6-6 six and six and somehow got a bowl win. They've now added Spencer Rattler, who some people thought was going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft from, as, a, as a transfer from Oklahoma. They've got a brutal schedule. They played two back-to-backs uh, at 19, number 19 Arkansas in Week 2 and then home to number 3 in Georgia. And then they've got in week six at Kentucky in week seven versus Texas A&M. And then they end at Clemson. So they have a brutal schedule. Despite this, they could go seven and five, which to me would be a major accomplishment. And put with some luck, maybe eight and four. If they can go 500 in SEC play um, and be, be an eight and four team or seven and five team, to me, that's just a fantastic season for them. So fun fact, I have South Carolina going six and six. Uh, all five games you just mentioned, I have them losing all five. But I honestly think there's no shame in that because if you actually look at who I have ranked at the end of the season, I have Arkansas 13th, I have Texas A&M 11th, I have Georgia 3rd, I have Kentucky 15th, and I guess I also have them taking a loss to Florida, and then number 4 Clemson. So they play 5 top 15 teams. That's There's no shame in losing the 5 top 15 teams and then you know maybe taking a loss to a Florida team that's somewhere on the border being ranked or not. I think I, I flip-flopped with having them ranked and having them one spot out of the rankings, so... It's just it's just that schedule. I mean, but going seven and five with that schedule is a breakout season for that program. I would agree because compared to last year, they are in the weaker division of the SEC, but they got all the bad crossovers they could have. They might need to stop uh, that rivalry with Clemson. I, it's just it's it's it, a little brutal. It's, it's brutal when they're already in the SEC. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's move on to our next topic, uh, which is a little fun fact. Almost every year, it seems there's a team that starts in the AP top ten and then falls out of the top twenty five entirely by the final AP poll of the year. Who's that team this year? So first of all, I would like to explain. I only said almost every year because I'm not quite sure on the official stat of this, and I couldn't find the database that normally shares this. You'll see the ESPN tweet in like a week or two. I think it's I think it's 20 of the last 21 seasons. Um, but regardless, I have Baylor. Um, even though I have them in the Big 12 championship game in my predictions, 
I predicted this team to end unranked before the polls came out. So yes, while I do have them top, while I do have them in the Big 12 championship game, I also simultaneously have them ending the season unranked. Don't ask me how, it just works out that way. Um, and I predicted that before the season even came out, so the polls even came out, so I'm sticking with that. I, I thought there was no way they would start at 10. That honestly now seems like it's going to be harder for them to end unranked just because they are, they're starting with such a high ranking. I thought they'd start more at 16 or 17, and it would be a lot easier to just say they go 8-4 and four and just fall 8 spots. That's pretty normal. Um, but now that I know that they're in the top 10, that's kind of my team. And then the other candidate is Texas A&M, who still doesn't really have a quarterback that I'm confident in. But last year, I, I would say not even not confident. I would say their quarterbacks were just not good. And they still went 8-4 and four last year uh, with pretty much the exact same situation. So I don't think they will end up that far off where, from where they start, unlike last year. And I just think that if they went 8-4 and four with having really bad quarterback play, they just need mediocre quarterback play and they're going to end up as a team who goes 9-3 and three or 10-2. and two. So I think... I would have them there, and they are a definite candidate to just have a season blow up, kind of like Auburn's last year, but they're I, I'm not picking that as my team definitively. I'm going with Baylor. All right, well, since you forced me to go with the top 10 team, I'm going to go with, I uh, picked Oklahoma. Um, they got an unproven coach, an exodus of talent, but they have an easy schedule. And again, I'm thinking the what key games are kind of make or break games on a team schedule. If they lose at Nebraska week three, which they could, there will be major heat on the coach. There might be some infighting with the team. There's been a lot of exodus of talent. Look out. They could free fall and lose four to five more games, at which point they would be unranked. Um, I would have said Notre Dame because they have a new coach and they're overhyped and they got a tough schedule at the beginning of the year. But um, they keep a lot of talent and they've got their usual curated schedule that will allow them to get seven to eight easy wins and space out their hard games. And they're going to get the benefit of the brand in the rankings. Now, if you would have said name a top 15 team, it would have been unhesitatingly Michigan State. They barely and luckily won a ton of games last year that they frankly shouldn't have won. Um, and Kenneth Walker is gone. And frankly, I can see them going 6-6 six and six this year. And I, with Michigan State, just take the complete in-between of everybody who is losing their minds about this team. They're going nowhere near the playoffs, like some people think they might be. And they're going nowhere near six and six. I have them right in the middle at a calm eight nine and four. three or eight and four. Yeah. And I just think that really it happens so often that everybody has to argue that a team is either in the playoffs and the people who don't like them think they're going to be unranked and six and six and five and seven and whatever. And pretty much 99% of the time that happens, they just end up somewhere right in the middle. So I'm just going to stick with right down the middle. Yeah, I think this team had a huge luck factor last year and they'll have a target on their back this year. Um, all right, our next topic, speaking of the other team from Michigan, um, last year Michigan went from unranked in the preseason to the college football playoff and the number three final ranking. Who has the highest chance outside of this year's top ten to make the college football playoff? This is easy for me. It's NC State. I have them ending the season ranked seven, but in reality this team has an easy road to ten and two, and that's how I have them, with only two ranked teams on their entire schedule. Just number 22 Wake Forest, who I said was the most overrated team all of last year and a number four Clemson stand in between the Wolfpack and a 12-0 season. I think they beat Wake Forest, and while I have them losing one extra game against North Carolina at the end of the season, I can easily see them winning that game and ending 11-1. And by the way, in the same way that we were talking about Washington in that Michigan State game kind of flipping around their season, if NC State beats Clemson, they're not losing to North Carolina on the road. That wouldn't happen. So the, I have that happening because I have Clemson, 
beating NC State, and I have them already have that one having that one loss. And then, you know, it gets to that final week of the season where it's rivalry week, but it's going to be rivalry week, and Clemson's going to be undefeated in the conference in that scenario, and NC State's going to have one loss, and they're going to be locked out of the conference championship game, and they're going to lose some motivation in that. You know, it is going to be a rivalry game still, but they won't have the motivation they normally have, and that is going to be the thing that would allow them to lose North Carolina. But if they keep that record, and they're 11-1, and one, first of all, just if they even only lose to Clemson, that would be close. That would be pretty close to the playoff. But I also think that even if they lose to Clemson, if Clemson finds a way to lose twice in conference, that would allow NC State to beat a solid or Miami or Pitt team, most likely, in the conference championship game. And a 12-1 and ACC champion would most likely only miss the playoff if Notre Dame goes undefeated, which would be Notre Dame, the Big Ten, and the SEC champ um, taking the other three spots and maybe a Pac-12 team. But... If NC State can somehow pull off the upset win over Clemson on the road, they most likely just carry that momentum through the rest of the season. They lost their number one receiver, Emeka Mezzi, and obviously Ikem Ikwanu, who made a lot of headlines with being the top tackle picked in the draft. But at the same time, they keep their number two, their number three, and their number four receivers from last year. Devin Leary lost his favorite target, but he has three guys who he's already been throwing to a lot in the past and will continue to throw to this year. And that will be the difference for them. NC State is experienced, while Tyler Van Dyke of Miami might be the best quarterback in the ACC. I'm going to go ahead and say it's Devin Leary, at least while Sam Hartman is out for Wake Forest. Um, and look, they went 9-3 and last year, and I just think this roster retooled enough in a conference that shifted a little bit to be more top-heavy, but not quite enough to maybe make the teams that were 9-3 and fall off. And I just think that they're going to improve heading into this year, take that 9-3, and take an easy, easier schedule, make it at least 10-2, and at best, a playoff appearance, although I'm not sure how well they would fare against those other teams in the playoffs. Yeah, so you said the team with the best chance, and I'm going uh, to say and outside the top 10. So I'll say USC. Um, it's going to take a while for their talent to gel, so this team's going to get stronger as the season progresses. But if they can get by Fresno State, which would be a respectable win in the non-conference, and, again, this is the pivot, they have a huge winnable game at Utah later in the season— if that happens, even if they stumble, but let's say they win all their other games, but I think they can still stumble. Um, it'll be a top; they'll be a top five team when they meet Notre Dame at season's end at home. Um, they win that game, even if they've had another stumble, another loss, maybe even to UCLA and the Pac-12 title game. And I think they are in no matter what. And the very interesting thing is that I was talking about the fact that the only thing that could lock NC State out of a playoff spot as a twelve and one team is if Notre Dame went undefeated. USC controls that destiny for themselves because the only thing that could lock them out is an undefeated um, Notre Dame. And honestly, I think a 12-1 USC for maybe reasons that aren't exactly football-related would get in over yeah. a 12-1 NC State or even a 12-1 Clemson. Um, and also, I think if they beat Notre Dame and they beat Utah, I think those are better wins than anybody can get from the ACC and probably even the Big 12 through the season. So even on football terms, just the strength of schedule, their metrics would get inflated by that. And I think that that's true. They would knock Notre Dame out. Notre Dame's not getting in with a loss, especially if it's the last game of the season because they can't win their conference. If USC has one stumble, maybe against UCLA, if they end up top 20 or something like that, or even just that game against Utah, um, and they end up 11-1 and and then beat Utah in a revenge game later in the season, you could see them in the playoffs. So I could see how that would happen. I just don't believe in that talent getting together that quickly. Yeah, again, I, I don't, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think given their schedule, they have a chance to make it happen. All right, who wins the Heisman Trophy? I think that while C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young might serve as the faces of the season, and I've already talked about them enough, 
I think their teammates, Will Anderson and Jackson Smith and Jigba, will actually make cases too and might even surpass them. Uh, Will Anderson was kind of living in the shadow of Aiden Hutchinson last year, even though if you actually looked at stats, Will Anderson was probably better. But Aiden Hutchinson made the impact plays in much, 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 much bigger games. Um, for, a C- for a team that really was not carried by their offense, I think the problem is when you're looking at Will Anderson, you had the fact that Alabama had this ridiculous offense and also great other defensive players. And when you looked at Michigan, there wasn't really a standout on offense. And the only standout on the team was Aiden Hutchinson. And you have to say, well, what makes this team go? And you went with their defensive end, as opposed to for Alabama, you went with their quarterback. Uh, So I get, I I love Will Anderson as a dark horse kind of pick. Uh, But at the same time, Devontae Smith in 2020 had 117 receptions, 1,856 yards and 23 touchdowns in 13 games. Jackson Smith and Jigba last year with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave on his team and CJ Stroud just being in his first year in his system had 95 receptions, 1,606 yards, and nine touchdowns in 13 games. So he averaged a full yard extra per reception over Devontae Smith. And the difference is Alabama was running that. It, it worked for them, but it wasn't necessarily the, the most interesting scheme, I guess you could say. But they had this scheme where... They, they really ran like two receivers and a tight end pretty much on every play. They had Julio Billingsley as kind of this uh, half tight end, half receiver kind of hybrid. And then they had Mechie kind of set up plays for Devontae Smith. And Devontae Smith just caught every ball and he just rolled over every team and no one could guard him. And I really believe that Jackson Smith and Jigba might do the same thing with Marvin Harrison Jr. this season. And by the way, he scored three touchdowns in the Rose Bowl, but Jackson Smith and Jigba had 15 receptions, 347 yards, and three touchdowns. If that's a sign of things to come for that combo, he should easily make up that gap between his stats and Devontae's, and that will lead into the Heisman, because I honestly think the voters would be okay with transitioning towards giving non-quarterbacks some more love, and I really think that that's why I like Will Anderson, and that's also why I like Jackson Smith and Jigba. All right, well, I'm going to go with C.J. Stroud. Too much talent around him? Got a chip on his shoulder from uh, not having the season they wanted last year. He's got a marquee game opening weekend, national television. I think he's going to shred Notre Dame and be the leader for the Heisman Trophy out of the gates, and nobody catches him, unfortunately. he's gonna. I think he's going to have a capstone to the end of the regular season with a win over Michigan um, at home, and uh, I think with all that, he clinches the Heisman. Um, and a little spoiler, I, obviously, I think uh, he's going to lead his team to a college football berth, so playoff berth, so... Uh, with that transition, who makes the playoffs and who wins the national championship? Well, I have it in my little spreadsheet so everybody can see it, but I have Alabama, I have Clemson, I have Ohio State, I have Georgia. That is not the order. I have Alabama playing Clemson in the semifinals with Clemson as the fourth seed. I have Ohio State as the second. I have Georgia as the third, and I have Alabama beating Ohio State in the championship game. I just look at Georgia's schedule, and I see not a single chance for a loss. They play neutral site every year with Florida, and they win that game a lot more than they lose it recently. They destroyed that game last year, and I think it's just the same situation with a worse Florida team this year. Show me the loss is my issue with Georgia. It's and, Alabama. And the thing is that I think the only thing that would lock them out, I, know I was talking about the other three spots in relation to NC State. You were talking about it with USC. I think a 12-1 team that only lost in the conference championship game to Alabama still would be able to find a spot in the playoff. And when I did my the way I did everything, 
I didn't have Utah going undefeated. I didn't have, I had Clemson going undefeated. Um, but actually, no, I had Clemson with one loss, and that's how they end up with the four seed instead of the three seed. I just, I don't have Oklahoma winning 10, or I have Oklahoma winning 10 games, not winning 11 or 12, uh, although they will win the conference championship too. But I didn't have any team going better than 10 and 2 or 11 and 1, and that won't be enough to dethrone a team that lost in the SEC championship game, whether it's Alabama or Georgia. As long as both of them are at least 12 and 1, like what happened last year, you have the one seed who won it all, and the three seed who lost in the championship game. That's exactly what happened last year. There were no teams that stepped up to the plate to knock them out. That's all that happened. I mean, Michigan got in between Alabama and Georgia, but they had to go undefeated and win the Big Ten to do that, and the fourth team ended up being Cincinnati. So unless we think that Houston's going to do that and somehow sneak in at the fourth spot, because guess what? They still wouldn't be ahead of a one-loss Georgia that only lost in the championship game. I just don't see any of these teams going undefeated. Um, and I think maybe a few years ago, my confidence in Clemson would be sky high. And I'd say they go 12 and 0 and put Georgia at least in the four spot. And then if they're in the four spot, maybe they don't want the rematch of Alabama and Georgia, but I just don't see that happening. I don't see any team being that dominant outside of the big three heading into the year. All right. Well, uh, I have Alabama number one, like you do Ohio state number two. I have Clemson, the number three team, and I have Utah getting into the number four team for the very reason you said, I don't think the committee will do an Alabama, Georgia rematch and I think if it comes down to a one-loss conference champion Utah team or a one-loss non-conference champion Georgia team that they will leave Georgia out this year so they can avoid you know some of the backlash and they avoid that rematch and so uh, I've got Alabama beating Utah in that first game Ohio State beating Clemson in that game so you and I both have number one Alabama against number two Ohio State with both of us having uh, number one, Alabama is the national champion. And um, I, I just, again, I'm talking about those scenarios, all the teams we talked about on the verge, except for USC, I have Michigan going 11-1 and but ending up on the wrong end because they don't play in the conference championship game with a loss to Ohio State. I don't have Georgia taking a loss in season and taking that 12-0 and record. I think the 12-1 and still gets them in the playoff. I have Utah as number six right outside of that spot because I have them losing two games. So that is where, that, and same thing with NC State, and even the same thing with Notre Dame and Oklahoma and Cincinnati, et cetera, et cetera. could keep going down that list. There's a lot of 10-2 teams in my predictions. Actually, every team from number 6 to number 12 is 10-2. and two. But I just don't see a team dominating enough, including Utah, to get there. I believe they're going to get tripped up. So whoever the Pac-12 champion is isn't going to have a clean season. And I think you really need to go really, really clean through that conference to overcome a two-team SEC bid. Uh, it just happens seemingly every year. Well, the good news is we have college football to talk about. Again, the bad news is that's the end of this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Very long edition. Yeah, well, hey, college football is worth talking about, and we're happy we have it back. Uh, please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, August 22nd, where we will recap Patrick's weekend predictions, the last predictions without any football on them, and so uh, the last exclusively MLB weekend series predictions and talk about the recent activity in Major League Baseball. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his Major League Baseball power rankings and his annual spreadsheet predicting every college football game for the 2022 regular season, which has already been posted on the website. Uh, his weekend predictions were posted on Thursday, so those are already up. All that content on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.